0: Welcome to Finding Help, where we hear stories of therapy, recovery, and community from the helpers and people who've been helped. I'm Matt Shedd. In this episode, we hear from Kyle, whose life gets very bad when he drinks. By the age of 30, he was hospitalized with pancreatitis and suffering from the DTs, which included hallucinations and extreme bouts of paranoia.
1: All, all I know is I, I tried to make a prison break, basically, from the hospital, you know? and I, I remember... They're literally chasing me up and down the hospital wards. The nurses are. And I, I'm on the phone and I'm calling 911 and I, I'm telling them, the doctors in the hospital are trying to kill me. Please come save me.
0: He shares about how he went from that state of deep misery, isolation and loneliness to finding help through 12-step recovery and becoming part of a community that was bigger than himself. Here's Kyle. Tell us about the last... Stages of your drinking, and I'm particularly thinking about the story you told me one time about being in the hospital and thinking that like people were chasing you and calling or like that's a good re- one. that's a yeah, good story. Yeah, okay, let's start <laughs> yeah, there. That, that uh,
1: we're starting at the bottom, okay? Yeah, it's uh, uh, yeah, I i was in and out in the hospital f- uh, from drinking. On this occasion, I think I had probably been drunk for about a month. Nothing unusual, um, you know, around the clock drinking. <laughs> Nothing at this point in time unusual for me. Uh, and I, I had gotten pancreatitis, which made me so sick I couldn't continue to drink. I, uh, I, I ended up in the emergency room. Uh, my parents took me there. And... They kept me in the hospital rather than shipping me off to, you know, detox or somewhere because of the pancreatitis. You know, I, w- I would drink. I would make damn sure I was going to be kept at the hospital before going there. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a good detox. They uh the, the, the nurses and doctors come come around, check on you every 12 hours, six hours. I don't know. And bring you down slowly. So They're, you
0: detoxed other places before uh, then?
1: Well, no. I mean, I, yeah, I did. But not official detoxes. I yeah. detoxed in gel. I detoxed uh, on, on the couch in my bed. Uh, de- detox is just—it's just, uh, uh, it, just kind of an unwanted way of life at that point in time for me. You know what I mean? I couldn't—I couldn't stay. This should give you an indication of, at least for me, it, it, as I try to look back on it. It—it it indicates to me how bad uh, the detox process was because uh, the, the pain, the the uh, the pain in the, the for the pancreatitis or whatever was so bad they were, they were giving me morphine and everyone talks about how excruciating this pain is to me. It, I that was a I really didn't notice it that much. Uh, pancreatitis. Yeah, Uh I noticed it because it, it made me so sick I couldn't couldn't hold down the liquor right. So uh they would come by and check on me and they're giving me Ativan and Librium and whatnot. I don't, I don't really know what these things are other than they're benzos that help people detox. And I love them obviously. So they come around and they check to see how much I was shaking or whatever. i hold my hands out and they would gauge by stuff like that. And uh, so they give me another dose of that and they would give me some morphine. And this is the, the I don't know what happened. I think this would be kind of blaming blaming them, but in my mind at the time, it seemed like what had happened is maybe the morphine had knocked me out for a while. This was about day day two or three. I don't remember. A couple days into the detox, so I'm a couple days without alcohol, and they were coming by to check on me, and I think they had given me some morphine, but not the other stuff. I don't know. I really have no clue. I, I shouldn't even speculate. I was so out of yeah. it whatever happened i just remember i woke up and and i i did a little research afterwards so i do know there's a difference between alcohol withdrawal syndrome or something like that uh-huh. and the full blown dt's and i believe it was the full blown dt's here because i i woke up and i'm in this like nightmarish hallucination that was more real than anything i've ever experienced like any drug you know <laughs> I, for some reason the 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 floors of the hospital were wooden I, they they weren't in reality but to me, they were. And, and people would walk by outside the door and you would hear these god awful creaks, like, creak, creak. I don't know why this was the case. It just just was. And I, I was hearing my sister's voice and I, I could see a window in a, in a wall and there were nurses with clipboards looking in. They were like, like, like training, like college students or something. They were like, oh, we're going to do the experimental procedures on this guy. He's So far gone. I'm just in a nightmare. And, uh, I look up on the little dry erase board and my girl, this is why I told that I have a girlfriend. I read her name was Jessica. and I said,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Jessica is dead.
0: <laughs> this uh, is all the nightmare vision that you're having. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I was under the impression
1: I, in my mind, I conjured this up. They're going to give me an experimental, uh, chemical by iv that's gonna uh uh it's an experimental drug but in my mind it was going to kill me like the the end process of the end result of this was was going to kill me which honestly at that point in time of my life i i should have kind of welcomed that <laughs> mm-hmm. it's finally going to be over uh but evidently i still wanted to live so uh I reacted by, I pull out the, the IV, you know, some arm, I jerk it out. And I, I'm tip, I can remember, I'm like tiptoeing up to the door and I'm, I'm listening. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to make my escape. I, I find in my clothes, my cell phone. And I, all, all I know is i I've tried to make a prison break basically from the hospital. And I, and I, I remember there's literally chasing me up and down the hospital wards. The nurses are, and I, I'm on the phone and I'm calling 911 and I'm telling them the doctors in the hospital are trying to kill me. Please come save me. Uh, Eventually they were able to give me, my mom shows up. Eventually they're able to give me some kind of thing that knocked me out. And I woke up a day or two later in the ICU. Uh, That's a horrible story.
0: (laughs) What do you think is going on for your mom at this point?
1: I've thought about that some. Uh, that's the part that hits hits home. That's a good question. And uh, this is some good stuff here because I've had the chance to make amends to her about the way that I was living. And uh, let me say it this way. At the time, it wasn't really a, a consideration for me uh, when I woke up after that nightmare. Uh, I was aware that I was obviously hurting people, but I couldn't look too closely at that. Uh, because I had to, I had to continue living the way I was. It's the only way I knew, and there, there was no escape. But as I look back on it now, uh, that's the part about alcoholism, you know, uh, mine anyway. Is it? I mean, the people that love you are going to be the ones tortured the most. Uh, my mom was absolutely terrified. They're, I mean, imagine it. She thinks finally, like she probably, for the first time in several weeks, could actually sleep because I was somewhere safe. And in the middle of the night, gets a phone call. I didn't mention this part, but might as well. She, I told her, meet me at the McDonald's across from the hospital. I have to get out of here. They're trying to kill me. The nurses and doctors are trying to kill me. You know.
0: Uh, that When you're in the middle of that, that kind of fever dream that you're experiencing, you yeah. called her and said that? Yeah. Yeah,
1: I did. Yeah, she. I, I called her, and I don't know if it was before or after, but I called 911, too. Uh, yeah. Damn. Yeah, my mom can sleep at night now.
0: Mm. That's kind of, I mean, that always, that sticks out as like probably as bad as it can get or, or close to it. Or, I mean, just, it's just very cinematic, that scene and it's always stuck with me, the way you describe it. Let's go back and mm-hmm. so like, what was an early moment that you remember when like, when alcohol really did something significant for you, like where it really like you felt at ease. Uh, I've got
1: probably tens of thousands of this, you know, experiences like this. I I remember I was young, 16 maybe. And uh, I was already uh, in love with alcohol uh, because of stuff like this. I remember hanging out with some guys that I thought were really cool. And I, I wanted friends. I didn't know how to, how to have them. Uh, we were going to a basketball game, high school basketball game. And wherever we were, I don't remember, but I remember uh, being stuck and afraid, basically. How, I, all I could think of was, how do I get these people to like me? <laughs> and I had, I started drinking and the magic happened. And we went to the basketball game and I was happy. Mm. I, I, uh I liked who I was and I, I had fun. <clears throat> I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, but uh, I, I don't know what I did. Maybe I made a fool of myself. I don't think so. I think at that point in time in my life, I had about six drinks. I went to the basketball game. Maybe I went back out to the car during halftime and had three or four more drinks. And that was probably it. And I went home afterward and I didn't drink.
0: So that was 16. How old were you when you were... when? You're in the hospital with the DTs.
1: I don't know, twenty nine or thirty. Okay I can tell you exactly, but I would have to think about it.
0: Uh thirty. In thirty. So alongside of that, you know, particular incident, what how would you just describe the what your drinking looked like at that point, like at the end?
1: What it looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I can't drink whenever I I get out of the hospital or if I manage somehow through some like like miracle of like self-will and, you know, de- self-denial that I finally get myself sober. I've been sober a few days or whatever. I know that I cannot drink. And maybe I, I'm even going to a, a meeting uh, here or there and I'm trying my best, man. Uh. But eventually I drink <laughs> and I could tell I could tell I could theorize about why, but I don't think it matters whatsoever. I really, I love that part in, in our book that talks about deep down inside. He really doesn't know why he drinks, why he takes that first drink. I don't know. I would start drinking. And once I would start drinking, uh, I, I would have absolutely no say, uh, over how much I would drink, over how long the drunk would last. It, it usually in those years wasn't short. It, you know, it wasn't a day or two, you know. It, uh, yeah, I got out of the hospital, made it 50 days, started drinking again through some insanely trivial reason I won't go into. And I was telling myself, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to add some Xanax to detox myself. You know, uh, I was taking Xanax at that point in time, but not drinking, you know. And uh, I started drinking and I was going to drink just one night and I'd wake up in the morning. I'm sure, sure to God, I would have the shakes. and I'd, But i would take some Xanax and I wouldn't drink this time because this time was going to be different because I'd made it 50 days. You know, whatever uh, insanely trivial excuse, as they say. Uh, I uh, started drinking and I stayed drunk for uh, about three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nothing new about that. Nothing, uh, nothing shocking. Uh, any fool could have seen that coming. And uh, uh, I got in touch with the doctor. He he tells me that he uh, has had similar experiences to mine. And he tells me that uh, he's going to write a prescription for my parents and they're going to not have to put me in a detox, but I can do this at home. It's going to be extremely hard. But he, he looked me in the eye and he said, if you, if you try to kill yourself by taking all these pills at once, or if you try to get high, they're not. it's not going to do that. It's like, you know, time release stuff. Throughout that next night, uh, he stayed on the phone with my mom. Uh, like every couple hours, she would call him up and say, you know, he's begging for more of this medicine. Can I give him more? And the guy would be like, yeah, go ahead and get, give him a couple, you know, whatever. Stayed on the phone throughout the night. Pretty amazing stuff. Uh, I, so I detoxed that way um, with my parents' help, and over the course of the next few days, I kind of uh, started uh, feeling like I could leave the house and i I went to a, a meeting uh, a week later, something like that.
0: And you, so you'd had some experience with meetings before. Um, what was what was kind of going through your head as you're sitting in that meeting? And what did your experience with meetings been up to that point?
1: Um, at first, I was so terrified. This is how I am as a person. Uh, you let me get scared and I'll hate you. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll find some way to tear you down, right? I, I blame you for my fear. And that's what I did with meetings. Um, I hated them because I was scared. And I, uh, I didn't like being sober and... Uh, so I, I found reasons to, uh, to hate the meetings, but you know, like I'm capable of doing with, with not, I'm not going to drink. And yet I drink, I hold two contradictory ideas within me at the same time. The same thing happened with meetings. I loved them too. Slowly I began to love meetings because the first time in my life, I heard people, uh, they were talking not to me. They were talking about themselves and they were, they were, they were there for themselves. And they were telling my story, you know, and uh and I love that about people, you know, maybe like the stories I just told. Mm-hmm. I try not to revel in that too much. Maybe people, have, you know, can relate to that. I don't know. I, I could relate to my first sponsor, how some of the kind of nightmarish stuff he was talking about. Uh It 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 did me good to hear that because it was like a light in the darkness that, that someone else had been through stuff like that. And, uh, God, I loved AA because of that. Oh, whatever. I loved AA because of that. Mm-hmm. It was the first thing that AA gave me.
0: Do you, you remember a moment when it kind of clicked and you thought maybe this place, maybe this thing that they're doing here, that they're talking about here, um, might work for me? Like, do you remember the hope kind of starting to seep in?
1: Uh, the way it's been for me with stuff like that
0: is, um,
1: I, I'm kind of, uh, headed, And I, I think there are a lot of, of times of having hope and maybe as soon as the meeting was over, the hope would vanish, you know, uh, I feel like lots of, lots of little, little, uh, little miracles and little, little people, little kindnesses, you know, little acts of people, uh, just being kind to me, telling me to come back to meetings, it kind of. It's like the hope was kind of growing, or something like that. I don't remember any like decisive like that's the moment, you know. But mm-hmm. I can point to to hundreds or thousands of times. You know how how it says we we came come to believe, right? Yeah. Is it come to believe? Came to believe? Came to believe?
0: Right? Came to believe. Yeah.
1: Okay. So it it was a process for me. It's not like one day I believed. You know, sometimes now I don't believe, <laughs> you know, I mostly do. I really, really do. And I don't really think it matters, but there are stuff like I, quick story. Uh, the the last white chip I picked up after this, you know, last drunk I was telling you about, and you know, I felt like leaving the house. I go to a meeting, I pick up a chip. That was January the 14th of 2014. I do not know what I was thinking or feeling. Uh, I know I was terrified. I know that, just standing up in front of a, a room full of strangers and just, just, yeah, you don't have to talk, you know, you can you look down, you just go and you grab a chip and give someone a hug and you sit down. It's ter- so terrifying to me. Uh, I mean, you know, you could compare it to jumping out of a plane or something. I just had to c- get up enough nerve. I get up, I get the chip. I sit down. I can breathe. And I'll remember this. I'll never forget this. There was some girl I have no idea who she is. Haven't seen her since God bless her. She just reached over to me and just on my knee, she just tapped me on my knee and she said, keep going back. And I'll never forget that as long as I live. Never. Uh, if I'm lucky, you know, that, um, it's kind of like the perfect amount of of love at that point for me because it's if she would have actually talked to me or something after the meeting, I, I would have like cried or ran away. You know, it was, that was exactly what I needed at that, at that moment. It was like a, uh, a perfect little, little uh, gift from the universe. And I, you know, so, so I know how stupid that sounds and I, I don't really care, but uh, there, there have been um literally every day of my life, stuff like that still happens to me. If I, if I have the right eyes to see it, you know?
0: Yeah. It's like what I was thinking of when you were saying that it's like, they're kind of relates to what you were talking about before of people talking about their own, you know, their own stories and they're not talking at you. You know, they're not telling you what you need to do. Like Kyle, which is probably what help might've looked like. You know, before coming to meetings, it was probably like people, doctors, family members, whoever saying like, you need to stop or you need to do this. You need to do that or try this or try that. Um, But then a difference of people kind of just talking about themselves. And then like when she was talking to you, it was just kind of like encouraging what was already happening in you it wasn't like she sure. was coercing you to do something it was like she recognized something was going on in you like some sort of hope or some sort of willingness or something and she's like coax you know coaxing that along or like just like recognizing that and like rather than like trying to force it to happen more or like i don't know it's just a powerful thing to to kind of that she had the wisdom to to know where you were at and know how to reach out to you in a way that wouldn't um try yeah, that, to force that
1: wisdom is, is kind of uh yeah embodied somehow outside of thought or or power is that like like the help that i received and a lot of this is not not is is my own uh creation i i, I was resistant to any form of help right but the it the help that i've been given has uh not flowed to me like through a like a a, a power differential like downhill or something like, like uh, uh, being given to me in that, in that way. um, I I think it's flowed to me just through grace, you know, it's just been uh, given freely to me by people that uh, uh, are not motivated by anything other than uh,
0: whatever love, whatever you want to call it. So when do you start that, – that was when you pick up your first or your last white chip. What what were the next meetings like after that, and, and when did you start – what were kind of the next moments of taking some, some risk? Um, what would that look like?
1: For me, every meeting was tremendous risk. <laughs> it's like this – The new baby kitten, the the stray cat that came up, you know, it a few days ago, I was having coffee and a stray kitten um, was hiding underneath my car and it was making these God awful sounds. And you see, I don't like animals. I don't like having to take care of things because I'm selfish. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm also just like, like, let's be real. I'm just not an animal person, you know, whatever. Uh But but I saw the cat, and I knew you know you just uh, immediately i i feed the cat and that's
0: exactly that's perfect
1: that's exactly how
0: it was for me it, you it, saw your you couldn't you can you had to you had to take that cat in it was like oh, that's me exactly i mean uh that's how that's how it, it was for me the cat's
1: uh, it it knows it needs me or something it needs like connection and like it's not just about the food it's it's like so terrified to come near me, but at the same time, it can't resist, and that's what AA was like for me. Like, I it's a risk to go to a meeting. I, what if I get embarrassed? <laughs> you know, if you've been drunk for 15 or 16 years, the thought of embarrassment, like I think people might actually die because they're uh, if you're like me, I was so afraid of being em- embarrassed. Um, uh, anything is preferable to that, yeah. I know that's ridiculous, but that it's true.
0: Um. So you're you're going to meetings. Every meeting feels like this tremendous risk. You're worried about being embarrassed. When did you get a sponsor? How did that happen? And how'd you pick the guy? Well,
1: I, I had before this. I had been to lots of meetings, and I must have heard them say to get a sponsor lots and lots of times. Had you ever? No. Well, yeah, actually, at the end, uh, it kind of a just a, a half-hearted attempt uh, uh, that ended up with me being resentful toward this guy for no reason other than you know my, my own resistance. But uh, yeah, I had tried half-heartedly. At this point in time, I I, uh, I, I knew what I needed to do. You kind of just know this stuff on the inside of you when there's no mm-hmm. alternative, man. Like. Like, I know at this point in time in my life, I know that a 30-day treatment center is not going to, it's not going to fix me or a 30-year treatment center is not, (laughs) you (laughs) know, uh, (laughs) like the problem remains. And I I knew that that, uh, I had to try this thing. I didn't think it would work. I, I didn't believe in God. I didn't want to get a sponsor. Uh, I, I just I, I can't I, again these things it's so difficult to talk about because it's not like a, it's not a conscious decision on my point it didn't feel like it maybe it was I don't I don't know other people can analyze that but for me it was uh, just kind of like um uh you're getting pushed closer and closer to the edge of the cliff you, you, you know you're, you know what happens when you fall off the cliff and you don't really want to fall off the cliff. Uh what do you do? Um Hmm. well uh for me it looked like just uh I I, there was a guy and he shared these uh stories, uh pitiful stories, pathetic that I, I loved so much and uh it indicated to me that he was like me and he drank like me. And uh if he he had he had a year sober and if he could do it, maybe I could too, you know and uh I also asked him because he was crazy. you know, I love this guy, and uh uh he was far from perfect and and any anybody that was gonna try to fix me, I'm very, very resistant still to that. I wish I wasn't, but whatever yeah uh um <clears throat> uh, i I asked him to sponsor me uh I don't remember if I did it all at once after a meeting or if I asked for his number, I just know I had his number and Uh, I remember, uh, taking a leap and and asking this guy, uh, sometime very soon after that meeting, picking up that chip very soon was asking him, telling him, look, I I can't stop drinking. And, um, the end's coming for me, you know, and would you help me?
0: Mm -hmm. And so how'd he help you?
1: He was my friend. Uh, he was there for me, you know, and uh, he 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 took time out of his life, and he, sometimes he would just sit with me and talk. And it wasn't long, you know, but uh, I, I knew he cared about me. First thing he told me to do was to go pray. He told me to do a lot of things. And uh, some of them I did and, and some of them I didn't at first. And slowly over time, I became more willing. And I, I eventually became willing to do all of them. And that's what changed my life, I think. It's, it's somehow he he taught me that maybe one of the most important things you can have, just, just willingness to just do the, stu- do the stuff he recommended. Uh, I, I don't think you can go wrong there to pray. I didn't, I didn't know about praying and I damn sure didn't want to. And, um, and I can remember, I can remember the first time I did, I remember being an atheist and I'm not, you know, I'm not one of the atheists. I'm not a- angry at God. I don't have a bone to pick necessarily with organized religion. I thought it was ridiculous, but I, uh-huh. I, I, uh, I just felt like I had, uh, I'd read enough books and studied enough philosophy or, or whatever. Or I, I had uh, I had figured it out. But he told me it uh-huh. mattered. He just told me to get on my knees and ask for help. And he said if you're desperate enough, uh, if you're fed up enough with the way that you're doing things, maybe you'll do this. And I think that's the point in time of my life where like grace I started to allow like grace or whatever you want to call it to kind of operate rather than my own thoughts and my own feeling. And I, I got on my knees and I said, I think I, I, think I said, I really just kind of had a little talk with the universe. And that just the first time in my life maybe got honest, I said, I don't, I don't know if you're real or if you help people like me. I don't know what I'm doing and this feels stupid, but God told me to do it. So here I am on my knees.
0: Please help me. Well, well one of the things I remember you telling me about, and maybe this is earlier on, but Marking off every day on a piece of paper that like yeah. you went to.
1: <laughs> I was telling them about that. It, we, we have a detox meeting and I, we were talking about that.
0: Uh huh.
1: Yeah. I, I drew a little, uh, grid of 90 days. And you know, it's a, it's a recommendation that I was, it was strongly recommended to me that I go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And I, I don't think, uh, that that's absolutely uh, uh, set in stone is like a thing you must do. This it, how could it ever hurt? Yeah, I've never yeah. heard someone say they they went to ninety meetings in ninety days and their life got worse. And I so I draw out this thing and and uh, on a on a graph paper and I I had little boxes and if I went to a meeting that day I put a one and if I went to two meetings I put a two and if zero which were there were a couple of those that snowed once and I couldn't go. Mm-hmm. In North Georgia, if it snows <laughs> things close down, even even the meeting. <laughs> so I miss and I'm like, oh my God, maybe I'll get drunk because I didn't go. Yeah. You know, maybe God will punish me. And I I, I don't know. I it was having an experience. And the next day uh-huh. after that, somewhere I put a two to balance it out. And I I did I, I completed that little grid and I, I did another one. And then after that, I did another one. And then after that, I didn't need to prove anything else. I didn't need to do anymore. You know, I was, I was just going to meetings because, A, I know that I need to, and B, I like them.
0: In this next section, Kyle talks about step four, which is basically an inventory uh, where a person gets a chance to look at a lot of their relationships and to see some behavior patterns and, and judgments and, and how relationships a lot of times go wrong. So here's Kyle again.
1: My sponsor, uh, honestly didn't have that much experience with it. And he, it was exactly what I needed at the time. Uh, I didn't really rely on him that much. We talked about it and we, we read the book and we read in the 12 and 12 about it. And, uh, what I did is because I was bored and, and very desperate. And also, uh, at this point in time, I was I was probably six months over and <clears throat> uh, I was starting to feel pretty passionately about this this thing that we have here, and uh, I believed in it at this point very much, and so I wanted to like uh, to know what others had to say about this this stuff, and uh, fourth step especially, I was listening to a lot of AA speakers, uh, and, and kind of just pooling all their thoughts. And, and they seem to be saying roughly the same stuff. And uh, and I would go back and read the book and I, I figured out the, 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 the recommended way of doing this stuff. And I had these experiences of uh, 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 writing down what I thought was uh, a list of grievances about other people and about the world and starting to realize that, uh, my God, These are all my ideas. <laughs> this is all just a, a bunch of me on this paper that's, that's looking back at me. And I had kind of theoretically understood that before, but to start to actually have an experience with myself. And for me, the fourth step was kind of like get an overwhelming sense of, uh, of how judgmental I am and of how, how fear operates in my life and how I uh, tear other people down. Just due to some some insecurity on the inside of me, stuff like that.
0: And then just to put it out on paper and see it page after page of that can get to be a lot.
1: It can, but it's it's good. It's a lot. You know, it's like yeah. uh, none of us like this stuff. Like it's not supposed to be pleasant. Yeah, I had friends at, the, at that time in my life, and I was going to a lot of meetings, and I was, man, I was really actually kind of starting to like being sober a little bit and life seemed kind of like uh, a little bit safe and a little bit uh, fun at that time. And it wasn't like a, a drudgery. So yeah. I had to open myself up to being to honest. And yes, I had a lot of experiences like that. Like I would, it, it kind of occurred to me that I, I am creating a lot of my own problems here. And also I had a lot of experiences where it was kind of overwhelming and I had to, uh, I had to kind of just like stop, 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 with the writing, like do something else for a while. Like it was just uh, uh, too scary to go there.
0: When I saw you or when I met you a little further down the road, maybe not that much further, but like you're pretty excited about all this stuff. And I guess you were going into the fourth step, Um, but you were just like, yeah, you were very, you were just like on fire for it. And I remember it being feeling like I just got into this really exciting adventure. That's what it felt like hanging around you. And I remember feeling about you like, man, this guy doesn't think about he doesn't worry about the things that I worry about, like making money or uh, being impressive or I don't know. We just I felt very free and at ease being around you. Um, and I don't know if that was as a direct result of the things you were starting to get rid of on that four step, the judgments or whatever. But I remember that very distinctly, like just really enjoying being around you and feeling like at ease. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh,
1: But obviously, you know, that, that hasn't been, uh, that's not my natural state.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Right, 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 right. You were doing a lot of stuff to get you there, though.
1: No. I didn't even know like, that it was getting me there. Right. And sometimes I still don't know. I still, I hope I'm still doing some of that stuff. Um, yeah. But for for me, it, I, I think maybe it seemed that way to you because that's how life started to feel like to me. It started to feel like an adventure mm-hmm. and I feel like I didn't have to take myself so seriously. And yeah, yeah, of course, I, I still worry financial stuff, blah, blah, you know, all, all this stuff. I feel like I'm, you know, inadequate or whatever, all these, all these little fears. But uh, I can definitely tell you, I don't really understand it, but I, I um doing that stuff, the whole package deal, trying to, trying to help people or whatever. Uh, and, and trying to be honest about myself and and that there's something special. I think that what you're trying to, what you're hinting at, is there something special about that process of the fourth step? It's not, for me anyway, it's not about an increase in knowledge and learning about myself in some deeper level. It's about more like learning how to let go.
0: I keep thinking about, it's like you lay out all these defense mechanisms that you've had and you've developed over the years that maybe worked at one point but they're no longer working. And in fact, not only are they not defending you and keeping you safe, they're hurting you <laughs> and they're hurting everybody around you. Mm-hmm. And you, and you look at them <clears throat> and then you're presented with the risk of do I set these things down and see if I can be okay without them? But that's kind of scary. Uh oh yeah. <laughs> but then that's also if
1: you're if you if you're like me uh that's where the adventure begins and it's not like uh you you don't have to do it alone you know it's kind of like i started to have this feeling that for the first time in my life it was okay to be me when you're given permission by people in your life to just be who you are all of a sudden you don't really have to hate other people as much you don't have to blame them it's okay for me to make mistakes all of a sudden and see see I probably learned some of that in the fourth step, but also I I learned it from you talk about my friends Chad and Brian. Uh, yeah. they taught me that. They taught me that it was okay to be who I was. See, I I I love them then and I love them now as much as I've ever loved anybody because uh they that they, they, they never once asked me to be different than who I was. And I know that no matter whatever happened, they will be there for me. And that's special.
0: The thing that was coming up for me too about it's like when you were talking about Scott uh, and then I was talking about my, how our relationship kind of developed is like this uh, it's like a storytelling tradition. You know, we do, we tell these stories about ourselves Mm -hmm. and, and somehow like the, we tell each other these stories and then somehow something, when we hear those, something starts changing or you get up enough courage to like try and take a risk on something that you kind of been thinking about doing, but maybe feels too scary. Like even if it's just stop stopping drinking or whatever. Um But, but yeah, the, the importance of, of the, I mean, that's central to what we do, you know, is that, Telling, telling stories and listening to each other's stories. And they're not stories that make us look good necessarily. In <laughs> fact, probably they work better when they do the opposite. Um, I don't know. I don't have anywhere to go with that. I just. Yeah. And you know, uh, something
1: like, and I felt a little bit of this earlier, something that can also happen is that you, your, your ego gets involved in b- being like the worst. You, you got to mm-hmm. tell the most tragic, terrible, yeah. messed up story, and and that's just as, as 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 foolish as doing the opposite. You know what I mean? Right. Or, right. It's okay. It's okay to just uh, to be whatever you are. And I feel like what all this all this package deal has has done for me is uh, it allowed me to. Uh, to do what alcohol uh, seemed like it was doing at first is that like, like alcohol enabled me to live. Like I could, I could, I could have a few drinks and life was an adventure. It was great. And, and, uh, slowly over time it, 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 turned and it, the adventure started to die. And, uh, and then I, whenever I first was getting sober, right in the fourth step, I started to understand that it wasn't an adventure. It was a, it was a lie. And I to actually, take the risk of living my own story you know that not like to actually be involved in my own life right now the only life i have uh that is scary but it is it is incredible it's a wonderful life chuck c says the most wonderful life i've ever known
0: you know Uh
1: to get to actually participate it's all i've ever wanted
0: Well, thanks for doing this, man. Um, yeah,
1: I do want to say this though—that
0: uh, yeah, th- uh, being
1: involved in these in this this stuff with this these steps and this book and whatnot and sponsoring people—it's uh, just our way. Think like I don't think we uh, we w- I think we would be remiss if we were to worship the steps, which we don't. They're just our way to the answer. The answer seems to be all over the place in a lot of different forms. Um, it, it's just action that we take to, to, to get, to get there, you know? And, and I, I think, I I think it's, uh, it's wonderful that we have that and it's, mm-hmm. it's the best way and the only way I've ever, um yeah, I don't know why I wanted to say
0: that, but whatever. No, that was great. That was great. It's, it's always worth repeating that. And if you had one thing to pass on to somebody who's listening, what would it be? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh you didn't like that one?
1: No. I I don't cuz I, I don't have anything to pass on really. <laughs> don't How about this one? This is this is this is what came to me. Don't take yourself too seriously. Yeah. I love that.
0: Yeah. It's a sure sign of spiritual mental health that that's what richard Rohr says if we if we can laugh at ourselves, that's like the best sign of like spiritual mental awesome. well being
1: yeah. yeah, yeah man there a lot of times it's hard for me to laugh at myself until like uh you tell me to not take myself too seriously, you know, yeah, like a constant yeah. reminder of that it's is needed for me,
0: yeah, me too, as long as me i'm too. alive
1: i'm I'm probably gonna have this this uh this self that I don't know what to do with sometimes. And that's okay.
0: Well, thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. 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 I hope, uh, I hope it, you know, you get something out of it.
0: All right. That's it for this episode of finding help. I'm Matt shed. If you're interested in the work that I do and services I provide for treatment centers and therapists and other people who are doing good healing work in the world, you can reach me at matshed.com. That's M-A-T-T-S-H-E-D-D.com. And you can also schedule a free call on there, send me a message um, and see some of my past writings and things like that. I think that's it for now. Thanks again for joining us and we are already looking forward to next time.